0: Front of your okay, great. Very safe. <laughs> Super safe.
1: The clap uh, is safe. All right, guys
2: so go ahead and get this started. All right, hey, uh, welcome everybody to the Fighter Stance. The Fighter Stance is the companion podcast uh to about violence that's our Sheepdog Response and Tim Kennedy's uh uh podcast. And so um we're get together um on the Fighter Stance, it's just us, the guys in the gym, the guys who work around here in Sheepdog Response um and we get together and we talk about um you know what goes on. We pick different themes for the month and um you know the things that we want to talk about that are important to us and we're kind of the guys that are down here rowing, keeping the, the ship going. And so just kind of, of course, right on time. Sorry.
0: Everyone make sure to silence the phone. Yep. <laughs> Check. <laughs> you can see Matt looking at his phone right now. <laughs> yeah,
2: throw, it, throw it away. All right, I'll start again. All right, everybody. Hey, welcome to the Fighter Stance. Fighter Stance is the companion podcast to About Violence. That's uh, Tim Kennedy's and Sheepdog Response's. Uh, podcast here on uh, fighter stance it's just us just the fighters the guys who work here at cheap dog response the guys who uh kind of row and keep the uh keep the ship uh moving and um kind of get together and share our opinions talk about subjects uh, around the horn what what happens here in the in our uh, training facility what's on our minds and uh and kind of get the chance to talk about what we want to talk about uh and and we like to keep it light keep it fun and um, I'm joined here today uh, by a couple of my uh, my friends. My, By the way, my name is Matt Smith. I'm the director uh, here at Sheepdog Response. I'm a veteran of the United States military. I was in for 25 years. I was a Special Forces Green Beret. And now I work here full time. I'm retired. I work here full time. Uh, I love my job because I get all the free coffee, uh, jujitsu, and ammo I can handle. And that's <laughs> the, that's as good as it gets. Uh, to to my Right here is Yako Khalili. Yako, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, my name is Yoko Kalili, uh, third-degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm also one of the uh, members of the guild of the uh, Army Combatants Black Belt System, um, 21-year Army veteran. I was an infantryman, and I spent a lot of my time in the Army as a uh, combatives instructor. I'm also known as the uh, the godfather of Army Combatants. and when I'm not doing <laughs> high-speed director of training stuff for Sheetog Response, I'm the head of
1: security for Five-Figure Death Punch. Uh, and then across from me, Zach Mayo. Zach? So my resume is not as impressive as these two gentlemen, but I am a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I am a Navy veteran. Uh, I've worked for Sheet Dog Response for almost four years now, and I'm here every day. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Zach works in a really high stress environment because he has to deal with all the complaints from all the different people that uh, that call in or, or helping him with all their situations. And sometimes I feel at any moment he's going to crack. Um, so when we when, <laughs> when we uh, when we picked a subject, um, we we tried to pick a subject for the month, a theme for the month, and we got to talking and we started talking about combatives. We at uh, Sheepdog Response we teach combatives to our clientele, uh, meaning uh, uh, it's a an amalgam of martial arts that are good for self-defense. And when you talk about combatives, you can't have the conversation about combatives without talking about uh, the father of combatives, Matt Larson. And then we had the idea to um, get in touch with Matt Larson and see if he would join us for the podcast. And lucky us, he did. And so on the line with us now, uh, getting piped in with us, is the one and only, uh, the legendary Matt Larson. So Matt, hi, thanks for joining us. Go ahead and uh, take, a, take a second and introduce yourself to the audience.
3: All right, well, first good to see you guys. Matt, Yako, Zach, nice to meet you. <clears throat> uh so my name is Matt Larson. I'm I'm uh was four years a Marine infantryman in the Fifth Marines. I was twelve years uh, in the seventy fifth range regiment in the various battalions, and then started the well what grew out of the hand to head combat program for the from the seventy fifth range regiment and eventually became the Army Doctrine and the Army Command School, which is where Yako and I work together. And then I did that for many years, and then took my show on the road, training in other armies around the world, and now I'm the director of combatives and teach uh, combat psychology at West Point.
2: Yeah. So uh, a part of the part of the reason, or even part of the impetus for us getting together and even talking about this, is. Um, uh, at, uh, at the end of last year, a video came out on YouTube, and it's a video of you um, with West Point cadets on the mats at West Point and you talking to them about warrior culture. It was very inspirational. Uh, and since then, we've been dreaming of doing this, so now the dream is uh, becoming a uh, reality. But uh, Matt is the lead uh, instructor, uh, you know, of course, at the uh, United States Military Academy at West Point where all of the uh, finest uh, military leaders are, are forged. And um, he gets the opportunity to help mold uh, you know, future military leaders there. So um, uh, aside from his history within the military and then building the military combatants program, he continues to make it a reality within the military and develop that uh, fighting culture. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, especially as a retiree. Um, it's weird because when you're in the Army, uh, you're in it. And then when you get out, you, uh, you immediately become consumed with how— uh, things are degrading <laughs> in the army. And my dad used to say the same thing as a former military guy. He'd be like, Oh, it's, it's all going to shit. It's soft now. Uh, yeah. So it's terrible, but like Back in my I was day. never as concerned as the day that I retired, but I am, I mean, I, I want the, I want the warrior culture to live on. I, I love what it did for me. I love what it did for the, the people that I surround myself with. So, uh, I really appreciate you doing that and perpetuating it and keeping it, keeping it alive. Um, there's nobody better to do it in my opinion. Um, so uh, quick off the top of my head, I just want to ask, um, just for for the greater listening audience, can you define what combatives is? What is combatives as you imagined it?
3: Well, the short answer is that it's it's America's martial art. And I think that what has happened is that you know over the course of the last twenty plus years of war, we've taken all the input from all the traditional things we did, which were boxing, wrestling, you know, et cetera, and and then what we all knew from the martial arts of that area, I mean, of that era, as, and and now in the modern world of martial arts, we have you know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts, all those lessons coming in to, in to the civilian world, and those have been sort of filtered through the lens of all the people who've been fighting the war for all these last 20 years, and what has emerged has been comb- combatants. You know, so when you say somebody is a combatives guy, what do you mean? You know, like we were talking earlier about how yako's a black belt. Well, what does it mean to be a black belt, you know, in combatives? Well, a black belt in combatives is the guy you want next to you when you're in battle. When you go through that door, that's the guy and he has that skill set. And, you you know, I'll let you, I'll extrapolate a little bit, up, but you can imagine what this what that skill set is. You want somebody who can fight, sure. You want somebody who can shoot. You want somebody who can put a tourniquet on you if you get shot. You want somebody strong that can pull you off that objective if you need to be. You want somebody who can drive. You want somebody. There's a whole list of skills that a modern warrior needs to have, and that everybody really knows what they are. You know, everybody who's involved in the intense combat knows what those skills are, and, and a combatives expert is an expert in those things. And so that, that's what I would say. You know, like like a short answer. Like I said, combatives is America's martial art. And it is that, and it is that skill set. And it is also like it's our way of spreading that warrior culture that we were part of in the military, you know, how do we spread that? You know, with all the all the things that are happening in our country now now and our culture right now, you know, we're kind of the antidote to that because we're the ones saying, you know, oh, you need to do this, you know, you need to get in the weight room and get strong. You need to get on the mat, learn how to roll. You need to put those gloves on, bang a little bit. You need to get on the range and shoot. You know, we're the ones saying that stuff because we need that person next to us to have those skills. Yeah, there's way more more. to it than that.
2: Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) Yako, when you when you so when you taught at combatives or at a combatives gym, what what was it like being out there? What was it like? You know teaching in a combative gym versus teaching in a regular martial arts gym or like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym
0: um, I think that uh, the, the key takeaway of the differences between like jiu-jitsu and combatives or MMA and combatives is like, is the mission Our mentality for training combatives is about bringing, you know Surviving in the battlefield making sure our, our, our friends next to us are coming home. And I think that's our, our biggest um, our biggest tool. You know, when you talk about what's what's the worst that could happen to an MMA fighter or what's the worst that could happen to a Jiu-Jitsu guy, they get submitted or they get knocked out in front of their friends. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that could happen to a soldier or a Marine is they get burned alive in a, in a Humvee. So why are MMA fighters or pro boxers or Jiu-Jitsu guys training harder than military people are? And I think that that was the best thing was I was able to use that kind of mentality to train our soldiers and I, and knowing that they're going to take that training back to their units and Hopefully, make them successful and be able to bring themselves and our and our buddies back from war.
2: Yeah, so it's it's the art or a mixture of martial arts, you know, true MMA, but within all. But within that or overarching overall, that is that ethos that you're talking about or that culture, that warrior culture that you're talking about is like having that be the end state as opposed to, um, you know, just achieving some rank or just being successful in a tournament is knowing that you're a well-rounded, you know, warrior state type of individual. And I, and I think that's awesome. I think that's what attracted me to it to beginning uh, in the beginning uh, when I got the opportunity to do it with you. Uh, uh, I trained uh, with Matt in Virginia. It was some of the best uh, time time Of my life, uh, I loved it, and then um, when you meet other people that got to be involved in that culture, um, you know, they're all have been impacted by it because it's just epic. You know, it's epic to be involved with it, and then when you see it for what it is that American martial art that's specifically why we wanted to talk about it because. I want to get to the point, and I, I got it in my notes here, to the day when I can sit down and on a Word document and type combatives in, and it doesn't come in, come back as misspelled. <laughs> I want it to be a word in in our vernacular that people understand it as its own uh, thing. I think Matt does too. Um, it's just that you know the other ones they're they're a little more out front. The other martial arts are a little more out front. You know we see them more because they're they're designed for tournament, whereas combatives is designed for defense. We are a sheepdog. We teach real self-defense to people, and there's many times, even in marksmanship, and and on the mats, where I'm like, yeah, that's not gonna. Don't try that on the street, you know. Yaakov says it all the time. You know, don't, don't try that on the street. Or there are guys who are skilled, like Zach's very skilled at at, you know, submissions and all, all these things, but even he knows, you know, like I would never try this on the street because yeah. it, you know, that that's for the mats, not for the street. And we, here, when we're teaching, um, you know, when he's teaching on the, uh, yeah, at one of our courses, we're very careful to make sure that they understand, Hey, this is combatives and anything goes like you just, you just cause you got in the mount doesn't mean somebody couldn't hit you in the back of the head with a bar stool and you got to be prepared for that. So a lot of it is about situational awareness and understanding the mentality and, and your, and your surroundings, you know what I mean?
3: yeah i think i think it's a, I think it's important to understand about about martial arts specifically the civilian martial arts is two things So martial arts are evolutionary meaning they they change over time and they respond to the pressures around them you know so what that means is in a in a mostly peaceful society like america martial arts don't necessarily have to be real you know the largest martial art in america is still taekwondo and the reason it is is because there's a niche For parents to send their children to Taekwondo after school and get a little discipline, learn some physical skills, etc. It's got nothing to do with fighting whatsoever, you know, but that doesn't matter because it's perpetuated by that niche and it thrives in that niche. Right. And so civilians, if they go into martial arts, they, they might think that they go into them because they want to fight or they want to learn to fight, but that's not generally why they stay, right, they stay because there's other things about it they like, you know, maybe they're doing a traditional Japanese martial art, and what they like is the connection to the culture, or they're, or they're doing, you know, submission wrestling, and they like the athletic portion of it, and they like the, the whole, you know, chess, physical chess portion, and there's lots of wonderful things about it that don't necessarily have to deal with reality, right, and even our martial arts, if you if you step back and think about how the things we do got to be the way they are. Imagine that Brazilian jiu-jitsu evolved in, if you look back at the Gracie's history and whatnot, it evolved for one-on-one challenge matches. So in a one-on-one challenge match, the most outstanding feature is there's a tactical vacuum, right? We have a gentleman's agreement not to bite each other's nose off. Nobody's got a gun or a knife. Nobody's buddies jumping in. There's no tactical situation. And if we just fight it out with no time limit until somebody wins, well, that's why it favored ground grappling. That's the why that came to the fore, right? Okay, so so that's that was up until that first or second, third UFC. Then the UFC, like it took on its own life, right? Now it was about entertaining the crowd, right? Why do UFC fighters wear four-ounce gloves? Well, because it's more exciting if they hit each other. And if they hit each other without gloves on, they break their hands. So we have gloves to make striking a bigger part of it and whatnot right so we'll see that nobody's really driving the ship they're just drifting and it's changing over time right so with combatives we can't really suffer that because in combatives okay first off the war zone drove it to be what it is and second off it must remain real because if it doesn't remain real lives are on the line you know what i mean so that's a whole different tamale than i like to do this if this is my entertainment for myself, you know, I'm doing this. Yeah. I want to be able to be bad as I could be, but I want you to be as bad as you could be. And it needs to be real because we're going to war together.
2: Yeah. That's like, that speaks to what Yaka was saying about like, he, it's all, all about the end state of making sure that you get you, there's some element of survivability and, and a, and a chance of victory, man, you got to fight to win, you know, and it's that fight to win mentality beyond all costs that kind of gets factored in where that doesn't necessarily live, although it does to some degree, but like you said, they have to create a set of parameters for most of the martial arts to be palatable or digestible for, yeah. for the civilian populace. And I, I, yeah,
0: that's the thing about combatives too, is like, um, just like every other martial art, like Matt was saying, people are, people are doing combatives because they want to get in shape or they like the, the, uh, the mental challenge of that. But combatives is so hard and so realistic that we would get those people would still try to quit. They'll come to like the first week of uh, of cabattas and we'd box them. They get punched in the face a couple of times and their want for physical fitness or their want for human chess was overridden by the fact that they were getting their ass kicked. Yeah. And I would have to talk those people back into the course. Like, listen, you're a soldier, bro. Whether you want to get in shape or not, you have to be good at this stuff. Like, you have to push yourself through this, not only for yourself, but when you go back to your unit, you're going to expect 100% from your guys. You can't quit this class, go back to your unit, and still expect them to perform at 100% when you're not willing to do the same thing.
2: Yeah, that's a hard sell because I, I've even heard Matt um, talk about this before, about ha- the, the differences between running a martial arts gym and running a combatives program and that, like a martial arts gym has to be run in a way that perpetuates people returning.
1: It's a business. Yeah. It's a business. Yeah, you have honest. to make money. We have That's to sell right. it. We have to sell this. That's a big thing about martial arts in the U S like you're talking before, how it's kind of gotten for, we well, didn't say this, but watered down. You have to be able to sell it to people. We have to have people keep coming back in the door. You can't, you can't make it as real as combatives where you have to be real within combatives. Martial arts have suffered that over the ages. I think, yeah
2: but there's something to be said like you said about like whether other martial arts like taekwondo um or 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 pick the martial art where it does instill discipline there is Mm. some you know there are endearing qualities that come from being invested in those but yeah you're right like the military really can't suffer that much because they have to be able to create warriors that win uh so i'm going to dive in just a little bit if you could give us a little backstory on um, I'll tell you, my, one of my fondest memories was my first time hearing the story from you when you were said, hey, when I first showed up the Ranger Battalion, they had a ninjutsu instructor there teaching uh, ninjutsu. <laughs> and you kind of said, hey, guys, what is going on here? So can you give us a little bit of the history about how how you came up with uh, or what, what was the impetus that drove having to change, you know, like kind of flip the paradigm with uh, combatives, visa, all these other kind of martial arts that were kind of getting Loosely taught. Poo flung poo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, so the background to the story is that I've I've been a martial arts since I was in the Marines. Like my first duty station was Tokyo, right? So I, so I started training karate and judo in Tokyo, and and the whole time I was in the the Marines and my first four years in the Rangers, I was trying to teach that sort of stuff and not having any success, right? I mean, and the reason. Which will become more clear as i tell the story the reason is that the training methodologies and pedagogies of those of those arts they don't translate into the military culture it's like there's no time to put in the time to become a good boxer in an infantry platoon right so it doesn't necessarily work to try to do that so at the time i was i before anything else got really into competitive marksmanship right so this is like i said the backstory nobody knows so whenever we got back from the Panama invasion, the Rangers realized, because we were just basically an infantry battalion, just like a high-speed infantry battalion at the time, we realized that we needed to, to do better at, at urban combat, close quarters battle and whatnot, right? So so we sent guys around to um, other places. I went up to, was back before Range 37 was a thing, it was like Mott Lake at the time. So I went up there to a, a course and basically learned modern shooting for, up at the up at Swick. and so all the things that came from that they're actually from the civilian sport of action pistol shooting right so so I learned that sport and when I came back from that training course up there that I went to which was Sephardic you know came back and went to got the first bat and started a club where we all started like shooting every Sunday and having a, a tournament and we called it the Sunday night slaughter. Right, every night, every Sunday after church, we would all get together, and practice killing people. Right, it was it was fun. Beautiful hell. So, mm-hmm. so
2: we should do
3: but that, here. that. Yeah, right. I think I'm gonna write <laughs> that down.
0: <But that, laughs> right. You have free ammo. Why not? That's right. Well, and so every, every week we would <laughs> run. Free, you know, right? <laughs> is it every too late week to change the name of the podcast? <laughs> That's, right. That's
3: right. So every week we get together. We you know we just run like five or six strings of fire, score them all up, see who won a lot of fun. It was drove the training and it transitioned. What was going on marksmanship wise within the range of attack, like it changed it within six months, the the level of marksmanship in that battalion went through the roof just because this became a thing and everybody wanted to get good at it and etc. And to this day, some of the bigger names in the shooting world can be linked back to that to that club, the Sunday night slaughter um, that we started at that time right so so that as the backdrop when I got up to a uh, second range of Italian that was when General Crystal came in and he said hey I want to do I want you guys to do combatants so when he said that the first guys that came to the fore were those ninjas you were talking about yeah. right so so I had trained a little bit of ninjutsu like I said I did all the traditional martial arts for many years before I stepped along but I was I was training at a, a really great club at the time called the Tacoma Judo Club really still to this day a fabulous place to train and i was trying to um learn to ground grapple because there's always like grab ass wrestling going on in the, in the infantry unit so i was trying to get better at it right i'm mm-hmm. from texas i didn't really learn how to wrestle as a kid so so that was uh, my way of getting at it right so right at that time is when the ufcs came along and some of y'all probably know norm hooten it was him and another guy I came down to visit they were from that unit originally and they came down and i had been training you know, emulating hoist with my judo coach and whatnot and then norm came down and then we sort of like showed everybody hey this stuff works right so then with that as the backdrop i trained up my squad and when my squad because i was a squad leader at the time i was a staff sergeant i trained up my squad they started whipping all the guys in the platoon so then trained up the platoon because everybody was hungry for it right then we started whipping all the guys in the company so we trained up the company and that's how we slowly like took over just by whipping everybody's ass pretty soon we were the that was what we were doing in second Ranger battalion right everybody became grappling guys yeah along that story eventually we got hoist and his brother horian to come up and help train us some and i was taking my vacations down then at the time to go train with those guys um and then this is how it spread throughout the army. So out, for, we went down to JRTC sometimes. So for your listeners who don't know, that's the joint readiness training center. It's like a big laser tag game. The army plays down in Louisiana. Yeah. It's in the so land that we, time
2: forgot, man. When you go to Fort
3: Polk, Louisiana, it's like stepping back right. 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, 800 guys in the woods playing laser tag, right. Yeah. All with all modern army equipment. So, so anyway, so we're down there doing that in the first and second range of battalions were down there together. And, you know, Rangers being Rangers, pretty soon there were challenge matches going on. I was about on, to say, right?
2: that's so, dangerous. That's dangerous just having <laughs> two Ranger Battalions in the woods together with nothing to do.
3: That's right. So I remember I was taking a nap and my guys woke me up when the matches started, right? And so I came out and then and there, there was like 65 matches that day or something like that. And second Ranger Battalion just won almost all of them. We probably won like 62 of the 65 matches or something crazy like that. So we used to call it the first great first battalion massacre, right? So just, <laughs> wipe, wipe those guys out. And then when we did it, that was what happened. Then we then it spread. Like the whole regiment was like, what the hell are the guys in 275 doing? And then we all started training, right? Yep. So It wasn't long after that, they brought me down to be. Um, so officially I was the headquarters platoon sergeant in 275. That was my actual job because my real job was being Kung Fu boy, right? And so then I went to be the RASP NCOIC, which is the Ranger Assessment uh, and Selection Program. So I was the NCOIC of that, but really I was Kung Fu boy, right? And so we trained up the entire ranger regiment on the things we had been doing. The way it spread to the army was rangers have to leave the regiment after a while, yeah. especially the officers. They can't stay very long. So they come in like if you're gonna command a ranger company, you must first command a regular infantry company. You're going to command a range of battalion you must first command a regular infantry battalion yep. so the, all those guys have to leave all the time so when that crew of leaders left who the ones we trained up general crystal made all the battalion commanders at the time spend a week training with me so that was like mick bednarik and McC- i mean uh uh general allen you know uh, uh general mike ferritor like these guys who went on to be all three and four star guys so as they left they took over other regiments and they, and they submitted for the Army to change the doctrine. So I switched over to the Ranger Training Brigade, which, for the listeners, that's where Ranger School is. It's separate from the Ranger Regiment. I went over to there, and, you know, it took me like 10 minutes to become Kung Fu Boy over there. So then <laughs> when they, they submitted all this stuff to me, to... to say, Hey, we should update a doctor to do what we're doing in the range regiment. It came like with pictures of me, right? I was like, ah, this stuff is brilliant, right? Like where, where do we get this, these supermodels to be these pictures? of, Right? So, so that's how we got to rewrite the manual. And then from there, the general Farron was in charge of like infantry officer basic course, captain career course, those things. So he wanted to teach all those guys. So we hired me and my partner at the time, Troy Thomas, to go over and and build up a course to train up the cadre of those schools. That's what eventually became the Army Combative School. So that was the, that's what eventually was level one, double two. It's as the as it spread throughout the army like kind of wildfire, where mm-hmm. more and more courses were needed because we needed to you know train trainers and have people who could manage larger programs. So that's kind of the, the story. And then right around that time was when the war was kicking off, you know? Mm-hmm. So it kind of started mostly as like a jujitsu program, but it was clear to us, even like from the very beginning, that jujitsu wasn't quite what we were trying to do because in life, you know, we're going to have guns and knives and buddies and stuff, and there's not going to be any rules. So we were already at the beginning, have to like modify what we were up to, uh, to, to, make it fit what we're doing so then by the time we started the school it started being about here's how you train a battalion here's how you put it into close quarters battle here's how you you know all the lessons that you have to learn to take that and turn it into what it really needs to be and with when feedback started coming back from the war zone then the lessons really were coming off you know like hey man this is what goes down in fights you know but we could say now like when we say hey this is what happens, like it's not supposition. We know this is what happens in fights on the battlefield. Um, And so that's kind of dictated the growth. So I hope hope that answers your question. It does, and I I agree,
2: I agree wholeheartedly uh, about, you know, like once you learn, once you learn ground truth, that drives everything. I mean, we know that in the military, but you know, once they come back from the, the battlefield and say, Hey, this is what really kept us alive. And then you develop, uh, from that. So that was an awesome, uh, history. I love learning about it. I came to, uh, I, I subscribed to jujitsu. I love jujitsu. Um, I train in jujitsu and, and grappling, uh, but I started in combative. So I came to jujitsu late and I remember, um, because uh, there are many elements of judo and there are takedowns and, and things that are in combatives because that's important. You're, you, you're pro- you should be on your feet when you meet your opponent opponent, and there's uh, often you can get them off their feet and you can win that way. And if you can finish the fight early, then that's great. So I started in the combatives community and I talked to Yako and, and Zach about this quite a bit. And the first time I ever went to a jiu-jitsu gym, they were like, all right, now we're we're going to go roll. And I w- walked over, and the guy uh, across from me got down on his knees. I was like, what are you doing, man? Like, stand up. <laughs> let's do this thing. And they were like, no, no, that's that's not how we do it here. You know, like, usually not until you get to a tournament level, you know what I mean, do they start working takedowns. It's it's all from the knees. And, again, that's to make sure that people keep coming back. Like, how long were, yeah, you, but- how long were you in jiu-jitsu before you started doing stand-up? Oh, as- so –
1: Yeah, actually, didn't start doing it until I went to Japan. I was deployed to Japan and I was like a blue belt, just got my blue belt maybe a year in. Yeah. And every single role they start on their feet in Japan. That's where I started standing up all the time. In America, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You rarely find a gym in America where you're. Standing up and they start sparring. Yeah, even feet. now,
2: I think until yeah. they get to like the until they're going to go yeah. compete, which is crazy because all the tournaments you start standing up, but for some reason, they, they there's not a lot of you know, yeah, we, we do it you. quite a bit here, but and, do do it, but and there are some gyms that do do it, but yeah, it's it's weird that, hey, that
1: yeah, you gotta be like in a competition I, class I or add, something.
3: I would add that you know, like in, in combatives, one of the forcing. Uh, mechanisms of fighting especially on the battlefield but real fights what is close quarters. Yeah. As in you're in a tight spaces, you know. So it's not just that you start on your feet. You start like in a small area right with mm-hmm. uh, walls and furniture yeah. and shit like that. So on your fight on your you feet know,
2: in a confined space with everybody's crap in there, you know, whoever's that's you know, right. That crap you know,
3: like the first thing the fight generally starts with somebody shoving somebody else up against the wall yeah. or over the couch or something like that. And right. that's mm-hmm. that's where things begin. You know yeah. that's why I like a well, you know I should I should you know pitch to all you guys that you know everybody should probably know that yako is one of like experts in the world about like how to fight against the cage wall oh, well, hey, now he, he developed that yeah. not from fighting against the cage wall but from fighting against the wall of a small room when you've, you've got your body armor and all that stuff right yeah. like the lessons translate really well so instead of it being like from mma into combatives so it's actually the opposite direction we yeah. yeah. trained combatives and then that trained into all of a sudden the Yako used to go out and Coach, like uh, people fighting on, at the uh, highest levels all the time on fighting off the wall. Yeah, because we do that regularly in combatos.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yaku's, uh, wall game is uh, like unbendable, man. Uh, the it, first
0: it, time it, I took Tim down was off the wall. Yeah, that's it. Yeah,
2: and so before, uh, just so everybody knows, in, in a conversation leading up to where we started here, it was the first time that I had ever heard of the Guild of Black Belts. Matt told me there's a Guild of Black Belts because, uh, uh, well. I, sh- I should say that in the combatives community, um, uh, there's is, is a, a very detailed selection process. In most martial arts, there's a detailed selection, but sometimes it's just based on one person. But in combatives, it's a detailed selection process about who gets to wear a black belt. And how many how many combative black belts do you, do we have now? Do you know what the number is?
3: There's a bunch now. The number's up it's like 40 or 50 now it's quite it's enough where i'm not keeping track of the exact number anymore that makes
2: me happy because that means that more people are involved in it you know like it used to be this exclusive number but but i I would like i'd be like that number needs to grow in my opinion you know i want it to grow but yeah uh, what's
3: happened is so so i should i should outline how people get promoted in come yeah please but 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 before i do let me say like the main the main thing about martial arts belt system is most of them are feudal you know you get promoted by one guy and so, what a belt really means is that one person thinks you should wear it. I used to have over my desk at the combative school this picture of this taekwondo guy giving these black belts to these two six year olds. And I used to always ask everybody, are these black belts real? And everybody would say, ah, no, they're not real. But yes, they are real because the only thing a black belt means is that somebody thinks you should wear it. And that guy's standards are really low. And they're black belts with hit that. That's why, mm-hmm. for example, in jiu-jitsu, because it's a feudal system like that, right? Right. In jiu-jitsu, your black belt carries the name of the person that you got it from, right? I'm a I'm a black belt under Jacques Ray Cavalcante. That's where my jiu-jitsu black belt comes from, and I'm proud of that because he's a hell of a good coach, right? A hell of a good teacher. I agree. Okay, so, but it's always like that, right? So, in combatives, it isn't that way. Mm-hmm. So, first off, the way you get promoted is through deeds, okay? So, it's not... It's not like memorize this this set of techniques.
2: Kata's, yeah.
3: Right, because because at the end of the day, that doesn't make a damn difference, right? Like at the end of the day, it matters if you can fight, if you can shoot, if whatnot. So so in combatants, the it's a measurement of deeds. So so for example, the our belts are are um, uh, gray, green, brown, and black, which translate roughly to the same as blue, purple, brown and black in jujitsu but with additional skills. So so for example, if somebody is a gray belt, well they have to be able to fight at the blue belt level in order to be able to achieve that. So to do that, they have to have victories against blue belts in competition in order to show. So you're like like we know for example that Anderson Silva is a great fighter, right? Why do we know? Well we've all seen him fight on TV, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody in Minnesota sends me a video of them fighting in a tournament and whipping people at you know at whatever the naga or an ibjjf or something like that and we could tell if it's real or not we could tell if it's them we can tell if they actually have the skills so that's what it means so if you add that you can take that approach to a lot of other things too so take that approach to marksmanship you know marksmanship in there the, are the organizations like the uspsa and the idpa and those sort of organizations And they have handicapping systems, which are essentially rank systems. Mm -hmm. So if you go shoot at those and then you get to a certain level, well, then you have proven you can shoot at that level compared to all the other people in that sport. So that's the same thing with just exactly like saying I can go fight at the blue belt level. You know, you show up at the world championships of jujitsu and you're and you're not fighting in the absolute open black belt division you're sort of admitting that you're not the best guy in the room and you need to be handicapped with a bunch of other people who are similar in skill to you and that's what your belt weight age blah blah blah, give you right Mm -hmm. same exact stuff in marksmanship so we could take that approach to all the skills you know medical training etc we can verify people have real skills remotely so a it can be done in person by a black belt up to the first two belts. You can promote somebody to gray and green, which is essentially blue and purple belt Mm -hmm. yourself as a black belt, just because it's a large group, an ever growing group of
2: people. Yeah. You need to be able to force multiply. Yeah.
3: Right. But you can also do it remotely. We have a thing. It's a, it's a called CombatantsUniversity.org, where you can, you get on there and you, and you sign up and it's like a, it's structured like college classes. Right. But the assignments are, Go whip ten people's ass, send us the video. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, go shoot at this level, send us the video, right? Yeah. And, uh, we have so one we,
2: actually we have one instructor that's doing that right now. So we're we're on our way to trying to get three uh, combative black belts on staff here.
3: That's right. Yeah. So yeah, so that so that across the skill sets you can prove like that. Now so when you get up to the the brown and black belt level, that method is required because essentially what you're doing is you're building a resume, you know. You need to be able to say i can fight at the black belt level so that means you need to go inner tournaments beat other black belts then that's how you're going to prove that you fight at the black belt level and the same thing you need to be able to shoot you at a really high level you know and the same thing across the board like that and so you build this resume and then in the lower ranks you know it's like the black belts approve them you send in your fights we watch the fight if it's good enough fight we'll prove it right it, at the, it's the same thing at the higher level, but more than one person looks at it. So, like, it would be Yako or me or three or four other black belts all looking at it going, yeah, this guy's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. You know, because the, the focus is on never letting the standard go down. You know what I mean? Like, when we say somebody's a brown belt in Cavaliers or a black belt in combatives, that will always mean they're a badass because the other black belts aren't going to let somebody in and you know what i mean like there's yep. protective of the of the of the guild if you will and so there's every reason to reject somebody like ah oh, that fight's not good enough you know you you didn't really beat that guy you, <laughs> you, know, or, lucky. Or whatever. you know what i mean like ah yeah. oh, you didn't really score any points you just stalled it out you fell you know what i mean like so if the black belts look at the fight and think it's bullshit well then we're not going to count it we're like i'll oh, go beat somebody else you know, show us that you can really fight. You know, yeah, that's you,
2: incredible to so, hear, but it's also very disappointing because it, now it's just looking like I'll never be one. But it does, <laughs> it does make me think, holy shit, no. Yako, you really are a badass. Dude. I was. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's what, well, I, it's a great example, right? So, yeah. so, so listen, how many people are there out there in these various skills, right? Shooting, fighting, etc. Who, who make all the claims to being something, they don't put their shit on the line, right? Yeah. They're not entering tournaments. They're yeah. not like when was the last time they, some of these guys who were out there shooting in you know, the biggest marksmanship instructors around? When was the last time they entered a USPSA tournament or, or an IDPA or yeah. tournament or something like that and tested themselves against other people? You know, I have a I have a buddy, Mike Green, who's a former SF guy, he used to work at Rage thirty seven. He's a solid, he's a master class shooter, yeah. right? Yeah, I know. He just the other yeah, so the other day I was I saw a video of him shooting in some local tournament, you know, just smoking it right. And I'm like, yeah, that's the guy, right? He's, he's, he's man, he's my age, right? He's in his 50s and he's still out there completely crushing it and showing everybody that he really has the skill set, right? And so that's what we're about, right? We like to say deeds of arms, right? Yeah, and I like what that. we're trying to create is that that culture where, you know, in in a warrior culture. We demand performance from each other. Right. So you demand to me, you demand of me, if, you, if I'm going to be respected, that I get my ass out there and do it. I can't just say I do it. Right. And the reason I mentioned that is when you were talking about Yako, OK, so when Yako had already been the chief trainer at the Army Combative School, I then went up and been the chief trainer at the 10th Special Forces Group. I remember him fighting one of those tournaments out there and just smoking the shit out of people, right? Like, like, and everybody's like, wow, he's old already. Cause Yako was probably 40 at the time, you know what like, yeah. Just like, yeah, well, he's still doing it because we expect it of each other. You you can't have a hollow reputation in the combater's world. It's gotta be real.
2: And now I'm disgusted with myself cause I skipped noon rolls today <laughs>
3: with Yako, Yako out there. <laughs> so, um,
2: uh, so yeah, I mean, the, I mean the, a, that makes me proud to be associated with it. B, that's just an amazing legacy. Um, and that also uh, makes this next question like more obvious why it was written, because it was written by Yako. It says, yes. who is the greatest uh, combative's black belt, and why is it Yako? <laughs> <laughs>
3: who wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> let, so let me tell our, uh, hold on. <laughs> let me tell everybody how I met Yako, right? So just okay. so everybody knows okay so i went out to hawaii i think his first duty station was uh, the infantry battalions or infantry unit out in hawaii so i went out to hawaii to teach a level one and two instructor course right and of course nobody knew shit about fighting in those days but Yako would been a kickboxer when he was a kid and at the time he was training with the Inoue brothers like it's kind of a uh you know name from the past in mma that probably people don't really know of anymore but at the time they were like some of the baddest guys on the planet And so the whole time I was there, he was like the only guy like me and him immediately hit it off. Right. So it took like, man, four years or six years or something of us communicating with each other and him training out there in the force on his own because he had to go to the 82nd, do a couple of combat deployments. We were working on all this time for him to finally be able to come to work at the combative school with me, all from what I met, what I learned about him when I met him at that trip in Hawaii. And so, like I said, four or six years it was quite a long time because he had to do like two combat deployments as a member of the 82nd or something before he could finally get to the combative school. But, yeah, that's how I met Yako, right? He was already whipping that ass.
2: Yeah, I saw we, we watched the video just the other day of him. They, he choked this guy out in like 10 seconds in a combatives tournament. and like a, He had to walk over and, the, and him and his wife had to walk over and tell the ref, hey, by the way, that guy's unconscious. I'm like, oh. I mean, I wasn't, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't see it, didn't yeah. see it coming. Maybe it so fast, but yeah. So uh, I, I never
3: forget on that first time, the first uh MPT with me and uh, our tr- training trip that Yaku and I did together. There was a guy who was like a pretty tough guy, but kind of stupid, right? And we were doing the the uh, achieve the clinch drill. This guy just couldn't figure out that you have to just keep going, right? Like you just if you want to pin somebody to the wall, you got to just keep trying. You can't ever quit, right? So every time he'd come in hard and back off, did the shit beat out of him, right? Eventually, he ran out of the room, like, fled.
2: <laughs> he played the scene? So, yeah. That's, yeah, that's, so a, that's like a survival the next, skill.
3: So, like the, next, like, the next hour or something, like, his entire chain of command came in here. Like, what happened this guy? we're Like, we heard he fled. We're like, yeah, fled. He's a coward. And so, right. so that gave that guy an Article 15.
0: <laughs> Fight or flight. We're being a pansy, played. right? <laughs> yeah, they, give an I, I, they gave him Article 15 for cowardice. They gave him
1: discipline action
2: for cowardice. Thanks, yako Yeah. <laughs> And that guy is the President of the United States today. hey <laughs> hey uh, that man that's awesome. so let me talk so we know for a fact um yako we got we got at least two combative black belts on the staff we got a, a couple other Ronaldo Villa who is one of our instructors. he's working very hard at it a, excellent black belt, but wants to he's striving to achieve um I don't know where he is in that process, but he's a great uh, great American great individual um, but w- a lot of the, like with with Colton and with or with Tim Steve, Tim, too. What Steve's and Steve? Alive. I'm sorry, yeah, Steve. Oh, oh man, I can't believe I left oh. Steve Martin out. A fantastic mentor. And That's the other thing. Great mentors come out of the program because the the way the the nature of the program, they not only become great fighters but great mentors along the way, and they they they're very good at. At keeping that culture going, but then, um, yeah, I forgot. Man, we're we're up to three plus on that, which is a really big deal uh, for and us. Several
3: more contractors too, guys who come in for you guys short yeah. term. There's yeah. a bunch of guys who come in like that who are black belts. I think. Yeah.
2: I so can't they're think of trying, all the
3: names off the top of my head because I don't know who.
2: So they're say say like with with Tim and with Colton and 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 with Yako and those guys competed in combatives tournaments. How important is the modern army combatives tournament? Is it just, uh, is it just, is it a jewel in the crown or is it just a thing?
3: So what I would say is that what, what competitions do is they, they help you set a culture, you know what I mean? Whenever, and there are two types of competitions, there's formal and informal competitions, right? So a a formal competition is a championship and that gives you a chance who are self-motivated to go prove that you're really the real deal. Mm -hmm. So that's a, important thing because it drives us towards excellence right like you can't you can't help to hope to achieve excellence unless you have other people also trying to beat you and that's why we have championships right but there's another type of competition that that doesn't get enough credit but it's actually the main one and that's informal competitions imagine if we all go out and roll right what's actually happening is while we're getting better we're all judging each other right and we're all setting a pecking order because we're all figuring out who's good and who's not. And that is what really drives performance, right? So it's just like, so we're, the analogy I always use in the Army is, it's like you take a unit out on a run. You know, about a mile into that run, first guy starts falling back, right? Mm-hmm. What does everybody think of that guy? Like the whole Army thinks the same thing, right? Even that turd wishes some other turd would be the one to yeah, fall, please out, fall right? behind <laughs> me. Yeah. <laughs> I see right. one guy <laughs> to be behind me. Right. So, okay. so the army values running because of that informal competition every single day. And when you get a little farther on and the, and the commander says release and the rabbits all take off, you know, nobody wants to be the turd. Everybody wants to be the rabbits. So we value running, right? Yeah. So this is the same thing. So when we go to the range, yeah, it's good to shoot and have fun and blah, blah, blah. But before you leave, man, you should put the targets on there. Put everybody under the timer. See how everybody does because we should know between the four of us who smoked it today. I agree. Right? Yep. Right. So then that's going to push us all every single time. It's like, why do you, why do you occasionally do your, your PRs when you're lifting weights? Yeah, because it's competition.
2: Yeah, right? you like, got to gotta have a measurement.
3: Because I'm showing you I can lift this much. Yeah. Right. And your rep, your opinion of me is, is in part based upon that. Right. Sure. And so that's what we're doing. We're competing like that all the time. So, you know, cause that, that gets us to like what a real, what a warrior culture really is in a warrior culture. There are two components. The first one is we demand of each other. You know, I demand that you shoot as good as you can. I demand that you be as strong as you can because I might get wounded and you might have to carry me off the battlefield and i'm big right mm-hmm. and i demand that you be as good a fighter as possible my life depends upon your abilities and all those things so i'm i'm demanding it and if you don't do it i'm not going to respect you right like i don't i don't i will not respect the guy who's not going to do pt because i need you to be in shape so that's half the other half is and i'm going to help you Yeah. Right. I'm here for you. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to motivate you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to be like, get out of bed, man. We're going to the weight room. Right. No, no. It's lunch. Time to roll. Yeah. Right. I'm going to do that. And we're going to press each other and build each other. And that's how we get that optimum performance. Right. That's like some of the best wrestlers in our country's history have been twins. Well, why does that work out? Yeah. They love each other and they fight each other their whole lives and they press each other. And so they end up being champions, you know, like uh, our, well, we have a very good friend, Stefan Bonick, Bonick, who is, uh, whose two brothers were both gold medalists. Right? So, you know, he's the older brother. One of them beat him off the Olympic team. Right. So <laughs> they pressed each other that's their rough, whole lives. Right? right. Yeah. Super badass, Isn't that? Yeah. He command he commanded the third range of battalion and his two brothers were gold medalists in the, in, uh, in wrestling. Yeah. That's it. It's that's, that's the idea that we do on the grand scale, you know? We demand it of each other, and we build each other at the same time. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's great I couldn't have said it better myself but that that makes me think too now I didn't roll at lunch so it's Yako's <laughs> fault Yako's <Yoko laughs> fault right, right. Yeah. he didn't say it's, no it's Yako's it fault no. too. Yeah, I didn't say uh, either. Uh, our medium mogul he's back it's there. Mostly like, it's mostly Doug's fault it's mostly Doug's fault Yeah, it's all your fault it's because I was doing all your payroll and crap in there uh,
1: but yeah W2 season yeah. what are you going to do yeah.
2: uh, so um, so uh, if you can can you share with us like what's what's going on at the military academy how much can you say about that I'm like you, any prospects up there?
3: Yeah, I can tell you all about it. We have a robust program. So first off, let me say that the that, uh, United States Military Academy at West Point is the greatest martial arts school in the world. And that's uh, really? absolutely absolutely the truth, right? So so we catch them when they, when they first show up. Their basic training is called BEAST, right? At BEAST, we start showing them how to fight and inculcating them into the warrior ethos, right? Then... <clears throat> Throughout their experience, they're here for a little over four years, you know, mm-hmm. throughout their experience, they have uh, various times when they have to do it in their tactical training. Like we, you've probably seen some of the videos where we have them fighting mass on mass and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so they all have to take boxing and, and gymnastics, believe it or not, whenever they're um, in their, I think they take boxing their freshman year, their, their plebe year, that's their freshman year, and then they take gymnastics the next year. They all have to learn how to swim. And then on their their um, junior year here, which is um, they have to all take the combatives class. But before then, they have uh, a spring and a fall season of of uh, company athletics grappling where they have like interburals. So we have a league that has about three or 400 people in it in the spring and a different three or 400 in it in the fall where they have two tournaments a week for eight weeks. And then we end up, you know, it ends up being a, playoffs and having champions and whatnot as it goes. Um, we have a club where it's a combatives club who's who they get level one and two certified. They go out and enter jujitsu tournaments and that kind of stuff. And then their mission is to train the rest of the corps of cadets. Um, every student has to take, like I said, boxing. And then our basic combatives class is PE 360. So that's like 19 lessons. Mm-hmm. And in that course, they have five matches, two of which are MMA, except they don't hit each other in the face. Uh, so everybody has all those things, you know, going on throughout. The- you know, we also have a 40 a person judo club. It's the national champion uh, collegiate judo club. We have 80 people because it's 40 males and 40 females boxing team. That's the best collegiate boxing team in the country. We yeah. West crushed. point, West point they, was always
2: kind of renowned for boxing. I remember when I was in the 82nd, it, when I was in the 82nd airborne, boxing was huge. That was how yeah. they did it. You know, every year was the big boxing smokers and the boxing tournaments there. And if you got in a ring, because I did it a couple times when you got in the ring, across from a West pointer. You like, you knew you were, yeah, I mean, they had some yeah. skills. They were pretty skilled boxers. Yeah.
3: yeah. They have, you know, they have a robust team with a national championship team perennially, right? We smash yeah. all the other academies and all the other universities in the country. And, Uh, There's a couple of other contenders, but, you know, like Navy doesn't even show up to fight us anymore because we smash those guys, you know. And and then so then we have, you know, that we have like a combat weapons team, which competes at IDPA and and USPSA type events, you know, Steel Challenge, that sort of stuff. Yeah, we have all that all that crap going on, you know, and it's all kind of like like it's it permeates the core of cadets that we have all those things happening. Now the core, they can specialize away from stuff. And we have a robotics team too, you know, but there are certain things that everybody must do. You know, they'll all have several five boxing matches by the time they get out of their freshman year, they'll all have five combatives matches. They'll almost all have been in a, in a league for at least two or three seasons where they had to compete at grappling. You know, we're, we're building towards the day when, when anybody coming out of West Point, you'll be able to look at them and know, yeah, that guy knows how to fight. Like, that's cause, great. Cause right now, the chances are, because we've put some studs out into the into the force who are just monsters, right? Mm-hmm. But, but that's not everybody yet. But it's coming where it will be. It'll be the vast majority. That's exciting.
2: Sure. And then on to ROTC, right? After that, we got to go get the ROTC guys going, too. Yeah, ROTC has challenges, right? Because
3: yeah. they're, they're trying to, to keep people from, yeah. like, leaving. Train yeah, they don't even, a lot of places. Don't even let them do commands, you know, but West points at a whole different tamale. Like we, <laughs> we're, uh, you know, you guys who are, you probably worked those summer camps for ROTC. Yeah. Everybody knows it's, it's not really like training, but a West point cadets training is like training. Yeah,
2: that's great to hear. I've been, we went up there one time. I took my son up there. A gorgeous institution on the most beautiful stretch of Hudson, you know, uh, in, uh, up in New York, man. If you ever get a chance to go, you got to go see it. It's like uh, Hogwarts for badasses. It's, it's beautiful, right? And it's historic. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. It's great. To, I loved it because I went and visited the graveyard there, and there's so many names Buried there yeah. of people that you only read about in history books. And you're like, I can't believe I'm standing in front of, you know, this this guy's grave, you know, like uh, Burnside's grave, you know, like. Uh, but so really, a really cool place to go, man. And I hope um, I hope to get to go back there one day. But that's awesome, man. It'd be really. Uh, I think you. I think
3: you clearly came in the summer when it's beautiful here. Yeah, it was gorgeous.
2: <laughs> I took my son there for a lacrosse camp. He, he was gonna apply, and then they made him stay stay in some uh, some crappy barracks on a cot. And, and then the next thing I did is I took him to UNC. And once he saw UNC, that he was like, yeah, all his his memories of West Point were sleeping on a cot. And then he got the UNC. It was nothing but girls and the quad and everything. I was like, yeah, UNC ruined him, dude. But that's it. Actually, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna go in the Air Force now. But uh, but. Yeah, man, it, it's awesome. Uh, what, what else do you guys want to add? Any questions? Anything?
0: So, uh, I have a question, man. Um, when you started, um, when, when, when I came into the program around 04, 05, like what was the mission as far as like to get the, uh, the program basically written down? Because we, we haven't really been in the, uh, the manual just yet. And it was still a really small operation. Like, well, what was your mission then to like find people, first of all? And then, second of all, grow the force?
3: Yeah. So, so I would say, you know, so kind of an answer. The, people always ask me if I ever imagined it would be as, as big as it is, right? And, and I always say, yes, I knew whenever I first started training, which was like in 94, that it would be this big a deal, that it would spread throughout the army and then eventually outgrow the army and spread out of the nation. I do it all the time because because when something's real, it's real, you know? And then my mission in the early days, so the first manual I wrote in two thousand and one, maybe, got published in two thousand two. Still wasn't that <clears throat> wasn't that good, but it was the first book I ever read, you know. So it's like uh it took a while to get it going. But what I would say is I was trying to build a cadre full of people that were fanatics, right? That would definitely keep doing this forever and would keep proselytizing and would keep spreading it throughout the army. And if you look at the people we had at that time, man, it was really that way, right? Because I was able to like hand select people and say, yeah, this guy right here, like I look at who we had it was Troy and, and Jeremy Brown and, and Keith Bach and yourself, and like Eric Cooper and like everybody that we had in those days, a is still training is a badass. He became a black belt. You know, like we, I think we did a really good job of like, selecting the group of people who are gonna like keep at it over the long run you know what i mean so this program like i said started in 94 95 in second range of italian man that's 30 years ago you know yeah. 30 years ago now,
2: that's painful because that's when i came in i yeah. came in in 95 <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's right. right. Everything just well, he was hard. already in,
2: by yeah, I know. Be, yeah. about this podcast has just made me depressed. <laughs> yeah, all
3: right. So, so Jeff, this will make you feel young, man. I came in in '84, nice. Reagan's first term. Yeah, I remember '84.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. Five. That's a that's a plank owner. Yeah, I was negative. Owner.
1: I was negative years back yeah. then. <laughs> Zach's the baby. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what I would say. Like, I guess the key, the key thing in those days was I was trying to find the people who were who were believers who would keep doing it you know what i mean and and that and we also recruited mostly from the rangers in that time because that's who was mostly doing it yeah. you know so all, all the other guys so all those names i just mentioned of the early guys the only one of those guys who wasn't in a ranger regiment at that time was yako right everybody else came from like second range battalion first range battalion and whatnot so because we had all been traded for five or six years so we had like a leg up on the rest of the army you know, that's why I was saying like, when I met Yako, like, I was like, hey, this is the right guy. You know, and, then, yeah. and then that's yeah, when why I met I Yako. I thought fishing. the same
2: thing. This is the right
0: guy. Yeah, yeah. we were definitely fanatical, especially uh, Keith Bach, man. That dude was crazy, dude. He, Keith was the guy that was like, oh, you're going to go to lunch? Pussy. <laughs> 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 you couldn't go to lunch around Keith, bro. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's exactly who he was. He's just a star major now, but uh, yeah. right. that's good, man. That's good because like the, from my very first exposure to it, like again I said like I, I came to uh, fighting sports late. I, I, I boxed just because I was in the eighty second and boxing is what you did if you wanted to get out of work and then uh <laughs> and then uh and then um you know, get, getting into uh combatives and then jujitsu uh later and learning to love it is I I thought the exact same thing that you did. I was like This has got to be the, I mean, I knew it was great when I got exposed to it. And then many times I told myself, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I just, uh, I'm looking at it through lustful eyes and stuff. But then we teach here at Sheepdog Response. And at the end of the day, People that came in that were just soccer moms or uh, run-of-the-mill guys, uh, linemen uh, or firefighters or you know uh, IT guys that showed up day one as average Joes at the end. You can see the belief in their eyes too, and I'm like, nope, yeah, I was right, yeah, Matt's right. Like it is is greater than the sum of its parts, and it's a big thing. And like again, I can't wait till the day I can type it into Word and it doesn't come back with a little red line underneath yeah, it because I want everybody to know about it. You know. Let me say something about that. Matt, yeah. I think I think it's a your hit on a super important. I was focused in those early days
3: and still am is why I still work at West Point in changing the culture within the army, right? Yeah. So that we would end up having the warrior culture that we always claim to have and that we actually need, right? So, but, so that was my focus. But but I would I would say that, that as this has gone along and as we've all got to be older guys and, and the whole all this original crew of cadets guys are mostly getting out and retiring and all that kind of stuff. You know, the mission has expanded and this is where like what you guys are doing at cheetah is is exactly in keeping with the with the idea behind savannah right so so imagine this right when when uh, when a lion attacks a herd of buffalo right what happens yeah the the, the bulls and the tougher cows of the herd fight them off right mm-hmm. yeah, so that's that's our role you know, i I always try to tell people, especially especially retired guys, because, like, imagine what happens in the Army. You've been, you've been training your whole life. You're a soldier. And this is your identity. When you retire that day, most guys have, like, this big identity crisis. Like, what am I? You know, who am I? I'm not a soldier. I, I went to Iraq, like, three days after I retired because I was trying to answer that question. Who am I? Well, I'm a soldier. right? So, that's, so it went straight away. So really what we are is we are the bulls of the herd. We're the ones that protect everybody else, right? We're the ones that make sure that everybody around us is safer all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you guys are just the greatest example because you're taking those other people who self-identify as the bulls of the herd and saying, look, is are the people around you safer because you're there? Is everybody else better off? You know? Do you have the skill set and the, and the mindset to make sure that you're the one that the situation demands, right? And, and that's the true, even if even if all you did was, like, learn how to put on a tournament, right? And there's a mass shooting event, you're a better guy to have a, Everyone's safer because you have that skill. Agreed. Right there. Shooting, fighting, all that. It can give everybody a sense of mission, a sense of purpose for your training. Because, yeah, it's fun. You know, like I think the most important lesson of combat is it's a fun thing to do, right? But it's not just fun, it's fun with a purpose. And that purpose is keeping everybody around. And I like I love you guys. What is the goal, the terminal learning objective of your like
2: first course, your protector what course or whatever is the first course? Well there's goals are it's fun, so you're gonna keep doing it. I agree, yep. You understand yep. training and you understand how you get to be what you want to be. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that's the point. That's what we can do in a
0: In a short-term course right yep we can show you here's how training works and here's where your role is as somebody who's a bull of the herd right you know what i mean so so that's i think that's our our next phase right as the black belt guild expands as it presses out into the civilian world as guys like yourselves are out there teaching people we are spreading that so that it's it's the counter to all this Cultural bullshit that is happening around us, right? We're still a group of people who are about deeds of arms and about honor and about family and about all that stuff, right? We're still those people
3: trying to make it about that. And that's really, at the end of the day, you know, is always tell everybody in the Army, look, we're not going to win the next war because we're better at hand-to-hand combat. That isn't the point. We're going to win the next war because of all the shit that being better at hand-to-hand combat makes you
2: yeah again like it's great on some of the parts man i couldn't have said it any better and i don't know if we could uh i don't know if we can attempt to end on a higher note than that doug how are you doing on are we looking good on time Everything's looking great. yeah uh, how about how about this man because i don't know if it can get much better than that or we can get a much more resounding uh uh, uh compliment from you um but I, I absolutely agree with everything you said if you haven't um, if you're out there, you're watching this video, and you have not seen uh, Matt Larson's video where he's talking about warrior culture to the cadets, um, we're going to link that in this video so that you can go see it. Uh, if not, uh, you know, go hunt it down and see it, because I, I believe, um, it, you know just like when Yaka first saw it and he said, hey, you guys got to get in here and see this right away, uh, as soon as he saw it, it reinvigorated me, and it, it made me uh, realize... Um, just how profound you are as an individual, how profound what you created or, you know, your, your, uh, your uh, conceptual idea became you know and um, and how just how much my life got changed because of it how much Yako's life got changed and then everybody around us uh, got changed and how much of our business is uh, built on it but I'm um, just like you said like really honestly and altruistically wanting people to be able to become protectors and become like the you know uh, to use your analogy become the, the the senior bulls and cows the ones who are committed to protecting the herd man that's why that's what makes me you know keep from going crazy Crazy doing all this it also makes me sleep good at night because if we can just create one or two out there and they perpetuate it and then long after we're gone then uh, it keeps going then uh That'll be a that'll be worth all the trouble for sure, man. It's been awesome having you on here, Matt. It's awesome seeing you again. I haven't seen you in a, a long time. I want to see uh, more of you. We're gonna try and get you down to Texas. I can't wait to get you down here. Hopefully, we get a bunch of people uh, that watch this video and then they'll be lined up. It'll be gangbusters to come see you, and we can come get you down here. Uh, uh, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for uh, and and thanks for making great cadets up there at West Point because I it's something I truly believe in. Like I said, as a retiree, I'm more concerned than ever with the state of the military. So I want <laughs> To, I want them I want them to be strong but I want them to leave there and I want them to perpetuate you know because it does take young officers and young leaders to to keep the culture going because I've, I've met young officers and leaders that were opposed to it and uh, and then I could never understand it and then when you meet one that isn't the culture in that unit is totally different and uh, and much more uh, Uh, it's much more receptive and it's much more nurturing and it's there's better mentoring. Everything comes from that. You know, like, like I said, greater than the summit's part, anything you guys want to add before we wrap it up?
0: No, man. uh, Obviously you're a huge role model of mine, a huge mentor, and I appreciate everything you've done for me and for, uh, for the military. Like it's, it's great. It definitely changed my life. Um, It definitely changed my career path right in the middle of my career path. I was like, you know what, this is, he's right. This is where, this is where we need to be. So I appreciate it.
2: Zach, anything to add before we break?
1: Yeah, Matt, thanks for coming out and doing this uh, with us. Hopefully we'll get you down here in Texas soon. No, I'd like to meet you in person.
3: All right, thank you. It won't take much to get me to come to the center of the universe.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. That's
2: it. And so, uh, if you uh, like the video, of course, like, subscribe. Come look at more of our content uh, at Cheap Dog Response. Look at uh, look at the uh, other podcast uh, which of ours, which is about violence, where they talk, where Tim's on there. Uh, Tim says hello. Like I said, he wanted to be here today, but uh, he's been pulled away. But I'm certain we're going to get together as a group uh, uh, soon. So uh, check out About Violence. Make sure you like and sc- subscribe. Right comments i want to read your comments so make sure you put in comments there like uh whether it's like what's this guy talking about all the way uh, all the way up to yeah i love it uh can't get enough but especially go check out his video uh you are not going to regret it thanks again matt and thanks guys and uh we'll see you later